All right, news item I cannot resist commenting on is this hubbub over the supposed uh, Earth-like planet orbiting the star Gliese 581. We refer you to the current edition of Sky and Telescope magazine, which has an article about the hunt for super-Earths. It's quite interesting stuff, actually, but th this allegation that the newly discovered Gliese 581G is a likely abode for life is, well, preposterous. They asked some astronomer at UC Santa Cruz what he thought the odds of finding life on the planet were, and he said, I'd say 100%. Now, we know they have some pretty potent cannabis down there in the Santa Cruz area, and I have my suspicions that must have entered into that kind of statement. We know that this planet's mass is a little bit greater than our Earth's, and that it's orbiting in an area that could be a habitable zone, the Goldilocks area around the star, which is neither too hot nor too cold. But we don't know whether this planet has an atmosphere. We know very little about it. It's interesting science, to be sure. But life would face some hurdles on this particular planet. We know that because of the fact that the star, Gliese 581a, is a red dwarf. It has less than 2% the luminosity of our own sun, meaning that its Goldilocks zone has to be tucked in pretty close to the star. So close, in fact, that it would be tidally locked, meaning that the planet would orbit facing the same direction all the time, like our moon does around the Earth. You look up at the moon, you always see the same face. We're pretty certain that the same must be true of this particular planet. Some of these UC Santa Cruz astronomers are saying, oh, that's great. There's all kinds of zones where life could be. It could be hotter here, cooler there. We will continue to follow this story. But in the meantime, we'd recommend people down in Santa Cruz to, uh, you know, maybe stick to cigarettes with labels on them. No, I take that back. We don't, we don't recommend cigarette smoking. One thing's certain. In the next few years, we're going to find a lot of planets that are more or less the size of the Earth. In fact, if you're keen to know more, we recommend highly the Sarah Sager article in Sky and Telescope. Read this article and you'll be wowing people at cocktail parties with your knowledge of super-Earths and exo-Neptunes. And again, maybe not. All right, from the um, unusual headlines file, we have the following couple stories. This headline from New Scientist magazine grabbed me. It is... Ape dung reveals origin of malaria. And of course, in all the research that's been conducted into malaria, I'm surprised no one had gotten around to checking out ape dung until recently. But the science is actually kind of interesting. Apparently, apes carry related malaria-causing parasites. And biologists believe that humans had already been infected when they split from the other great apes five million years ago. Some other studies have suggested the parasite perhaps had jumped from chimps to human at a later date. But uh, Beatrice Hahn of the University of Alabama says both theories are wrong. Human malaria came from gorillas. In pursuit of this great truth, Hahn has analyzed 3,000 samples of ape feces from across Central Africa. Boy, and you think your job's tough. She, in fact, found six species of malarial parasite, all of them ten times as genetically diverse as that which infects us. She's now constructed an evolutionary tree for the parasite, which, which reveals that the human type is a recent descendant of gorilla parasites. This is bound to spark some hot debates in the scientific community. All right, surprising headline number two. Sacramento Bee, September 24th, article by Daniel DeVice from the Washington Post. 
Headline says, Nature Films, Not So Natural, New Book Says. Article talks about a, a new book by filmmaker Chris Palmer, which was published this year by the Sierra Club titled Shooting in the Wild, exposes the unpleasant secrets of environmental filmmaking, which includes manufactured sounds, staged fights, wild animals that aren't quite wild, and, uh, in short, filming in nature that uh, isn't exactly recording natural scenes. Said Palmer, nature documentaries carry the promise of authenticity, noting that filmmakers profess to present animal life as it is lived, untouched by mankind, yet... Human fingerprints are everywhere. Palmer's book underscores the fact that nature is frequently boring. Wild animals prefer not to be seen. So a crew might spend six weeks in tedium for a few moments of cinema. Naturally, certain shots, animal births, or predators seizing prey are difficult to capture by chance, so filmmakers tend to set them up. I'm sure many of you saw the classic 1958 Disney documentary White Wilderness when you were in school. You know this one. It showed the lemming migration where the lemmings came to a cliff and then hurled themselves off into the sea. Well, in fact, the documentaries for that one used buckets of lemmings which were tossed over the cliff. Palmer writes that even Marlon Perkins, the host of television's Wild Kingdom, was known to bait animals into combat and to film captive beasts deposited into the wild. This really can't be a huge surprise, can it? On the other hand, I'm still, I'm still irked about the lemmings being tossed over the cliffs. All right, final unusual headline. Article by Garance Burke from the AP, reprinted in the B. The headline is, U.S. Citizens Not Seeking Ag Work. I have to quote from this one. As the economies tanked during the past two years, a debate has raged over whether immigrants are taking jobs that Americans want. Amid the sweltering fields of the largest farm state, the answer is no. Article goes on. Most Americans simply don't apply for jobs harvesting fruits and vegetables in California, where one of every eight people is out of work, according to government data for a federal seasonal farm worker program. I mean, this one really has to come from the duh file, doesn't it? I remember them trying this a couple decades ago when I was in medical school. The INS came in, pulled all the farm workers out of the strawberry fields, and then put ads in the local paper for people to come do work. Some did respond. None lasted more than one day. Tough, brutal work that doesn't pay well, and Americans are just not going to do it. That's why, if you'll notice, the people working out in the fields come from Latin America. So when these teabaggers and right-wingers are talking about uh, foreigners coming in here and taking our American jobs, ask them if you care to engage in conversation with them uh, which jobs they're talking about. Well, it appears we've done it again, and we're out of time. So um, let's thank our guest, Gerald Nachman. We can't recommend his book uh, highly enough to you, Raised on Radio, and also our good pal and guy O'Beelum. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time. All right, I think we'll go out with a little bit of the Firesign Theater. He's coming around, folks. He's going to be okay and ready to play Symptom 6 of Beat the Reaper. Last week, our patients successfully survived the common cold, measles, pneumonia, dengue fever, and the yaws. And now, the big question. 
Are you ready to go on? What? Where? He's ready! Our topless nurse, Judy, is wheeling our patient into the isolation ward. Can you hear me in there? Okay. Let's shoot him up. Now, patient, you have ten seconds to tell us what you've got and beat the Reaper! I, uh, I, I'm shaking feverish. I, my, my hands are all... Yellow, my, my God, I've got John. John, this it is. Give him. Symptom six, and now you've reached the final threshold. Here's the question: Are you ready for symptom number seven? Longer than any patient has ever survived before. I want to go home. Only one way to do that, doctor. Bring in the super shot. Now, for the first time on Beat the Reaper, we're going for the big disease. The icebox is being unlocked by the president of the Armenian Medical Association, under whose strict supervision these toxins are being administered. <laughs> this is it. Doctor, give him that really big disease. Now, patient, can you hear me? You've got ten seconds to tell us what you've got. And for the last time... Beat the Reaper! I, I feel... I, I think I feel... I don't know, whatever... Whatever it is, I... I want to die. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. That's not correct. You didn't beat the Reaper. Doctor, bring the patient out and show the amphitheater audience and all the folks at home just what he's contracted. According to my careful prosthesis, this man has the plague. Thank you, Doctor. You're welcome. You've got the plague. Well, isn't he a good sport? We'll be back in just a moment with our next patient, but first. Get it! 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 Get it!